Have you ever bought a gadget or a tool, maybe it's a toy, an item, and gotten so much more than you bargained for? Just gotten so much value out of it. This thing was so cool. Now, I have experienced the reverse of that many times, where I have overpaid for things, or I saw the infomercial, right, and it said, well, you know, if you buy this, your kitchen will never be in disarray ever again, and I got the thing, and I'm bringing it into the kitchen, and my wife is like, this is just going to take up space. This is, this is not worth it. But have you ever had the other side of that, right? Like you, you bought the $2, $3 item, and it just stuck around. It was so valuable, so cool. Well, when I was a kid, uh, my dad bought one of those little like electric motorized Jeeps that like toddlers can drive around in, you know, and he picked this thing up from Goodwill for like $3, okay? And the engine did not work. So we pulled the engine out of it, and then um, we started, he would push us around in this Jeep in the backyard, and we started to use it kind of like a wagon. And so for $3, we got a decade of use out of this thing. As my little siblings, um, they you know, were born and got a little bit big enough to sit inside of it, and I'd push them around. And when we were in middle school, we decided that what would be really cool is to tow it behind our bikes, which I'm sure is a very OSHA-approved and safe thing that you know, kids could, could do. So we eventually had to start wearing helmets while we did that, because there was one time where it went off a jump. Anyways, but that thing, we got so much use out of those, that $3 item, and it just was so beneficial. It enriched our life. I'm so grateful for this. There's another thing we got, once again, at Goodwill, for $2, it's an inflatable horse, okay? And it's, it's blue, and it's about that big. And my siblings and I, when we were about 10 years old, we thought it was a cow. So for you know, over 15 years, this horse has been called Cow Cooper, because that's what we named it, because we thought it was a cow. And to this day, that's actually still in my living room. And you got to obviously reinflate it some, but my daughter will ride on this inflatable little horse. And so $3, we have gotten so much value out of this thing. Now, um, for me, in the last year, the thing that I never knew I needed, I felt like my life was complete. But a year ago, last November, I finally succumbed to being one of those cool, trendy pastors that preaches from an iPad. And for years, you guys had watched me as I brought this thing called paper that humans have used for centuries. And I would take my stack of notes up here, and I'd preach from it and take my notes and flip it over. Well, last year, I got the iPad because it was on sale. And this thing has made my life awesome. I have just enjoyed the iPad so much. See, there's this really nerdy Bible pastor software that Ben and I use, um, and, and what's so fun about this, and I'm sure this is exactly what you cared about when you woke up this morning, right? But um, what we can do is like sync it up with the commentaries and like get our, my little Apple pen and like draw all over it, and I have gotten hours and hours of enjoyment 
out of this. This is my new tech device that comes with me on vacation. I don't have to take my laptop or anything like that. I deleted YouTube from my phone, and I'm just going to say, well, I'm going to focus, and if I'm going to watch something, I'm going to watch something, and I'm not going to let it suck me into the endless scroll. But here's what happened. Two weeks ago, they came out with the new iPads. And all of a sudden, in a two-minute commercial, all right, a two-minute commercial, I'm like, wait, but this one doesn't have an M2 chip on it, right? That, but that, that one, it's got like a quarter-inch bigger screen. The, the new ones, they don't, they don't have buttons on it. Why, why do I have this piece of junk with a button on it? And all of a sudden, like, I just watched what happened in my heart as I suddenly was less grateful for this thing that I had, I just loved. It added so much wonderfulness to my life. And can we just be honest and maybe confession moment for us all as a church? Have you ever had that happen? Maybe not with an iPad, okay, but like the car or the tool or whatever it is in your life. And you never knew you needed this, but once you watch the commercial, once you hear or see that your friend has it, all of a sudden your heart just goes, oh, like, I'm not complete anymore. I really need that thing. And all of a sudden, like, what actually changed in my life in those two minutes of watching that commercial? My bank account stayed exactly the same, right? My health was in exactly the same place it was two minutes earlier. This thing did not lose functionality, but my heart and my contentment was messed with in that moment. And so I'm going to use that silly illustration of an iPad as a jumping off point for really what I think is a big issue in the human soul. Because have you seen how gratitude has enriched your life over the years? When you have been living in a space where you are grateful for what you have, the people around you, have you seen that bear good fruit in your life? Have you seen the flip side of that, where when we are ungrateful, when we are looking at a different perspective and seeing what is wrong with our life, has that, has that cost you something? It has for me. It has cost me peace. It has cost me joy. And so I think, just as we enter into November, and we enter into this season of thanksgiving, this is an opportunity for us to embrace something that I think is, is foundational to human flourishing. I think the Bible would have so much to tell us about being thankful and grateful. And so what I'm going to do in this, in this message and in this series, we're going to talk about um, a zip drive of just all the different words that the Bible would say. So when I say gratitude, when I say gratefulness, I'm going to take thanksgiving, give thanks, rejoicing. I'm going to put all that in kind of one category because I think that God invites us in the Bible to be people who are grateful. Let's pray as we go to his word together today. Father God, we invite you to show us the ways that you've been generous, that you've been generous to us in our life. God, the way you've been generous to us in our story, the way you've been generous to us in our world, God, we ask that you would help us 
to be people who can appreciate what it is that you've given, that we can have a spirit of gratitude as we go through our weeks. And so we, we invite you in this time, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, so here we are. We're in this series. We're talking about gratitude. Gratitude is such a powerful force in the human heart. I've known people who have gone to see mental health counselors or professionals or all kinds of stuff. And, and our issues, right, people are so broken. I've talked to people who have gone for PTSD or anxiety or um, just all kinds of different things. And what I found is interesting is that for so many of us, regardless of the problem we're facing, one of the paths towards healing is a gratitude journal is to simply recite and just come up with things that we are grateful for. And it's, it's interesting, that is just such a powerful force to combat what um, many thoughtful and theologically profound people have called stinking thinking, right? Gratitude is a way against that. And our culture, we are starting to realize this, all right? If you go to Amazon, there are over 10,000 different kinds of gratitude journals that you can buy. Because our culture is just starting to realize this is a problem for us, and maybe it's not good as a society for us to see thousands upon thousands of ads every single week that are building a sense of ingratitude in our souls. And so I'm going to invite us to explore, well, what, what would the Bible put forth, or what does God have for us on the issue of gratitude? Here's, here's what um, I think, and here's what I think I know, right? Ingratitude is a foundational human problem. It is just at kind of the bedrock of the ickiness in our souls. And I think the Bible would affirm that because in the very foundation story of as we're going to describe, well, where does evil come from? Where, why are there broken things? Why do stuff not work well in our world? And we would go back to a story about two people in a garden, right, with a tree and a serpent, because we would go back to the creation story where the generous God of the universe makes everything. And over and over again in that story, it said that what God made was good. What God made was good. It was what the people needed. And Adam and Eve, they're in that garden. They get all the fruit of all the different trees, right? And what's the one thing God says? Not this tree. Not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this story resonates as true because how many of us have been there? We have so much. We have so many things. But there's that one thing we don't have. There's that, that one line that we feel like we want to cross. And I think the serpent, he capitalizes on this strategic weak point in the human heart. And he comes to them and he says, well, the reason God doesn't want you to have this is because then you'll be like him. And that's such a lie because, right, the man and the woman in that moment in the story, they will never be more like God in their whole lives than they were before they took the fruit. But, but the serpent says, well, if you take this, you got to get it because God is holding out on you. The reason you don't have what you want is because God is holding out on you. And so ultimately, gratitude and ingratitude, it becomes a worship issue. An issue that has to do with what we will sometimes call the vertical relationship. 
our connection with God. And what we know, and what I believe as a pastor, is that our connection with God and this vertical relationship with him, when there is a problem there, it spills out into our horizontal relationships, our relationships with everyone around us. And so this week, I want to talk about how the way that ingratitude, it gets in our soul, and it creates a worship issue. In the book of Romans, um, Paul is going to describe what's wrong with our world. And many of us, I have sat with many people, and if I, I gave you the job to make a list of what's wrong in our world, how many of you are like, how much time do you have, right? I'm going to pull up the document many, many pages long. Well, this is how he summarizes it. Okay, he says, because they, right, everyone in this world, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature, the created thing, rather than the creator. And what happens so often when we encounter brokenness in our world, it's because we are afraid that we don't have what we need. We're afraid that we're not going to get everything that we need, and so we reach out, we take what it is that God would not have for us, and we create brokenness in this world. It is the ultimate cart before the horse scenario. And I have a wonderful illustration here. I drew it, my, no, I did not draw it myself. But, but just how silly is that, right, to put the cart before the horse? We know it doesn't work, but we do this in life because we go to created things. God gave us a material world for us to live in. I love cozy blankets, heating systems, Wi-Fi that works, you know, all that good stuff. That is a gift we receive from God. But what happens when I don't have that? I get really upset. And, and I start to lash out. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm making this created thing, this gift that God is giving, I'm putting all my weight on that. And I think our culture, um, this is maybe one of the biggest sins that we have as a culture, is that we go to created things. We go to social relationships. We go to status symbols. We go to possessions and 401ks and financial security. We go to that and say, I want this to satisfy me as a human. And for some reason, we as a culture are leading in stats that are not good about depression and anxiety and struggles because we're putting this weight on stuff that it was never meant to support. When my wife and I first got married, she had a lot of different chairs that she had inherited from her grandmother. And her grandmother is smaller than I am, right? That's just statement of fact, okay? So when we got married, I kept breaking the chairs because I am not a small human. And I would sit down on these chairs. They were not built for bullock-sized humans. And they would break. They would capsize. And we do this in our life because we take all this weight of what we need as humans to be satisfied, and we put it on a created thing, and it crumbles. It can't give that to us. It can't give us what we need. And so ultimately, this becomes a worship issue. And so I would encourage us as a church, like we are a worshiping community. And just to correct and maybe just talk a little bit about our theology of worship, all right? I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it twice because we're Americans, 
All right, here we go. Worship is not just singing. Worship is not just singing. And, and worship can be singing, right? We sang a song today. We were very worshipful. But if you go to probably just about any church website in America, they will have a picture of the worship pastor, right? And what that means, as Americans when we say that, is the guy with a guitar, right? That's what we mean by that. Did you know there are churches all across the world where when they gather for church and for a worship service, they don't sing a single song? They don't. Because that's not the definition of worship. Actually, worship is so many different things that we do together. It's, it's any action that we're doing and where we have our heart in the right place, where we are uh, giving it to God. So yes, it is singing, but it is also serving. So when Daryl showed up and got out of bed before any of us wanted to, right, when it was cold, and he came down to this building, he unlocked the door, he turned on the heat, he grabbed the leaf blower and blew off the patio. That was worship, right? When Jim and Derek and Jared and our whole crew at the tech booth, like when they showed up early and they turned on the technology and they're streaming it out online and they're using their skills and abilities so that other people could hear about Jesus, that is worship. When Sharon came in this week to paint a wall on a kid's classroom so that it would look nice as the preschoolers hear about Jesus. When Denise and Donna Lynn started teaching the kids and singing songs and pointing them towards Jesus, that is worship. When you went out in your job this week and you gave of yourself, when you were generous to someone else, that was worship. We have people in our church who they spend their full-time job, they're working with special needs kids that God loves. These, these people that are created in the image of God and that God has called these people who work in our church, right, to love on them, to care about them, that's worship. And so as a church family, let's embrace what does real and true worship look like because gratitude is tied to this sense of being able to worship God. Now, in America, we do have this consumer mindset. And so um, when we invite you on Sunday morning, this thing that we're all sitting in right now, right? What we're doing right now is called a worship service. And do you know who's being served in the worship service? It's God. It's not actually you. And I, I don't mean that because you're not important to me, right? I don't mean that because you're not important to this church. But ultimately, the worship service is a service that we offer to God. Not that our band offers to you so that you can feel spiritual, right? Not that our church offers for humans. But this is about us carving out time to say, God, you've worked in my life. And I think you're valuable enough. I want to show up and make your name great. I want to glorify you. And this is a recentering moment. Like this is the huddle before the game. Monday morning, tomorrow, when you go to work, that's the game. This is not the game right now. This is the pep rally, right? This is, this is the huddle where we say, okay, we're going to be people 
that are grateful to God. We're going to be people that are shaped by this story of who our God is. And so I love this illustration. So at the beginning of Romans, Paul says, you know, worship and, and bad worship is exchanging creation creator. Well, then in Romans 12, he says it this way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so he says, okay, us offering our whole lives, our whole selves, when we offer that to God, that is us worshiping. Now, this is maybe um, a, a kind of dumb pastor line, but I do love what it has done in my life and what it calls me back to. But do you know the problem with living sacrifices? They crawl off the altar. You know what's hard about the living sacrifice is it says, wait, but I don't want to do that. And, and I know that in my heart and my flesh, that's what I have to wrestle with. I say, wait, I don't, I don't want to give of myself. I don't, want to, I don't want to give back. I don't want to live every second as an act of worship. And so we have to fight with that. That's hard. And, and at Dallas Church, we are going to be a community. We are formed around a core value that we believe in everyday worship and prayer. And we mean that in two ways. Number one, every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, all those days. We are going to be characterized by giving our lives as worship. And then the other thing is every day can also mean that it's ordinary. It can also mean that it looks very normal. Many of us, like, like we got... We got real jobs, right? We got real life. We got real things to do. And so we invite God into every moment of that. And we, we want to be invited into gratitude and what it has to do with human flourishing. I've got this list up here of just words that I'd associate with ingratitude, right? We got pain, discouragement, frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment, the constant lust for more. And then I talk about on the other side, with gratitude, we've got thankfulness, humility, self-confidence, trust, faith, joy, peace. And here's a question I'd ask for us. Which one of those do you want in your life? I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Whether you're on board with Jesus or not, like what, which one of these do you want in your life? And I might ask us, okay, well, which one of these looks more like Jesus? Which one of these do we see in his life, as he follows God. And so here's what I think. I think gratitude is a wellspring for genuine worship. When we enter a space where our soul is grateful, then true and good worship can flow out of us. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And I think that holistic love for us to have that for God comes from a sense of gratitude. We have to cultivate gratitude in order to do that. So how do we cultivate gratitude? I'm so glad you asked. That's the next point on the outline. Um, in the book of Psalms, it offers so many good things about how to coach our perspective. Um, there's a line actually from this book, um, 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. We keep this in our recommended reading library um, in the back just because this is one of the books on gratitude that has impacted our staff. And I, I love what she says here. She says, the remedy is in the retina. The remedy is in the retina. It's all about the perspective. And sometimes we need to shift our 
perspective. And, and so I love this. Sometimes um, we need to coach our soul because our soul doesn't naturally move towards gratitude. Psalm 42, 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation. And I, I just love this idea that he has to talk to his soul to coach it, because sometimes I have to do that. And then there's a sense of gratitude that is tied to who God is and what he has done. Number one, he has heard us. You ever felt genuinely heard in a situation? You were upset about something, you got some sort of complaint, maybe it was a boss, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher, and doesn't it make all the difference to know that someone genuinely heard what you were thinking and going through, understood the, the situation, the pain that you were in? And it's interesting because I've, I've watched this happen in people's lives where it's almost like that pressure gets alleviated. Now what changed? Not a whole lot. The situation is still the same. But knowing that someone heard us and cared for us, and God has heard. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. When I was a little kid, um, my sister was about one years old, and she was thrown a fit in the car seat, like one-year-olds do. And she really wanted out of the car seat, the long drive was not her jam, and my two-year-old little brother is sitting next to her in his car seat, and he was trying to calm her down. And so he starts, at two years old, trying to calm her down, he starts saying all the soothing things that my mom does. He's like, it's okay, mama heard you, you're all right, you can shut up. <laughs> and I wonder how often for our soul, right? It's like, it's okay, like God heard you, like, I understand this is valid, these feelings, but also we're invited into something bigger and better. And so then we've already talked about God as the generous creator, but God is also our deliverer. And in the Psalms, when, when you've got the psalmist wrestling with gratitude in their soul, so often it is tied to what God has done to deliver them out of circumstances. And I'm going to talk about that in two ways. Number one is God is the deliverer in the big story. In what we might call the gospel, the big story truth that Jesus made a way for us to be unified with God. That we had a problem of sin and brokenness and struggle and that what's our foundational truth in John 3.16? What's it say? For God so loved the world he gave. He gave, so God's generosity, he made a way for us. And so then we'll talk about this more um, as we continue to talk about how this plays out in other relationships. But, but how hypocritical is it for us as Christians to say we are foundationally, fundamentally believing the fact that God has forgiven us? And so when it comes time for us to forgive someone else, no. No. And so there's just this, this big story that God has delivered us. And then we've seen this in each of our lives, where God has pulled us out of, God has delivered us from bad situations. And I might call that our testimony. That's the story that's just yours, right? And yours is different than mine. And, and I love what we sang earlier in the song about how what the enemy meant for evil, God used it for good. 
And so there's a level there where we can be grateful and thankful for even our scars, for even the hard stuff that we've gone through. And that doesn't mean we minimize or we don't claim that things that are bad are bad. But maybe there's a level of gratitude for even the struggles. Maybe there's a level of gratitude for even the tough moments. Psalm 34, 6 says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's even in those difficult moments. And finally, I think gratitude, it trusts God as our caregiver. A sense of gratitude is cultivated when we say, I know that God will meet my needs. I know that he's taking care of me. Now, the very famous psalm, right? It says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so this sense that God is looking out for us can allow us to maybe release some of those things that clog up our soul. We can understand that God is our caregiver and our parent. Jesus calls God the Father over and over again because God is that perfect Father that is present and there for us. And so many of us, like our culture walks around, humans, we walk around with a father wound. We walk around with a hurt place because we needed our dads to show up for us. And even if you had the best of dads, right, maybe you had the worst of dads, I don't know. But even when we showed up, they still let us down sometimes. And God invites us to embrace him as that parent who's going to heal that father wound, who's going to show up for us even in the moments of our soul where no one else did. When I was in Bible college, I had to do a sermon on Psalm 131. And there's a word picture in there that I just did not get. I thought this was the weirdest word picture in all the Psalms. Okay, Psalm 131, um, this is what it says. It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, Y'all didn't think Andrew was going to say the word weaned from the stage today, did you? And that, that was something that was just not in my world as a 21-year-old you know, Bible student. But I can tell you that having been a parent for a little while, right? Two, two whole years, right? Not even two years yet. But my little girl, when she was first born and she was nursing and she needed the bottle and the formula and all that, how did she tell me that she needed it? Well, she threw a fit. She was screaming and being like, ah, this is not good. I know that you're trying to sleep, Dad, but I need food right now. And then you fast forward, and after we have gone through you know, that process, we now have a weaned child in the Bullock household. And my priest, my little girl walks up to me. My toddler says, Dad, crackers, please. Right? Dad, crackers, please. And I wonder if we can coach our soul to that place where we say, I don't need to freak out. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be ungrateful. I can just say, Dad, crackers, please. Like we can just know that God has heard what we're looking for. So, so where I want to land the plane on today, where, where I want to park us is to let grateful worship flow from our soul. And that is a very spiritual sounding phrase but I think it's actually a really practical thing. Because you know, 
right, on Monday morning. When you wake up, you're driving to work, right? You know, when you wake up, you got to, you know, log into the Zoom meetings. You know where your heart is at. You can tell, like, is grateful worship flowing from my soul right now? Or am I, you know, kind of blocked up, clogged up because I'm, I'm frustrated about something? And so here's just some action steps. Maybe you need to let go of something. And you're like, you're holding on to it. And it is, it is plugging the hole. We're like, we're not allowed, we're not letting. Worship cannot flow because our hands are full of anger and bitterness and resentment. I actually, um, in writing this message, there was something very small that should not have set me off like it did. But I lost three days of prep time because I was so upset about something stupid in my life. And I was like, I can't write a sermon about gratefulness. I'm upset right now. And so I might just, you know, encourage you, don't be like Andrew, right? Don't, don't do that. Like, if we need to release something, sometimes that's the path towards healing, is to release anger or bitterness. Maybe you need to start a gratitude journal. And just every day, sitting down, maybe it's with your coffee, maybe you're going to start that habit of just writing one or two things that is really helpful. In the book 1,000 Gifts, um, the author challenges um, the reader to write down 1,000 gifts. So I took that challenge and I made it to 100. And I have a long ways to go, right? But it's been really helpful to just look at those pages. And sometimes when I'm having a rough time, I'll just, you know, uh, go back. And look at, what was I grateful for three months ago? Maybe you're going to, you know, read that book, 1,000 Gifts. Maybe your action step is to do something nice for someone. Maybe it's someone you don't want to do something nice for. Somebody in your, you know, your sphere of influence that bugs you. And you could build up and say, well, I'm going to be grateful to God. And I'm just going to let that gratitude overflow in this relationship right now. Maybe um, you're going to take a challenge of simplicity. In, in the book, um, Celebration of the Disciplines, um, Foster writes about this. I sat under a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, who would sometimes challenge our church, and he would say for a couple weeks, whatever time frame you want to put on it, he would challenge us to not buy anything we don't have to. Anything that would be above the call of necessary spending. Because um, just as a season of gratitude to say God has given me enough. And you know, maybe it's okay. Like the coffee at home still tastes good. You know, like what? I don't know what that could be for you. Maybe that's a good action step for you. Because ultimately what I know is that we as a church, we should. Let's be people. Like what kind of game changer would that be as we went through our lives? And if we were grateful people, if just like that's what every single one in this church family was known for, in your place of work, in, at your gym, where you live, work, and play, they said, man, like that person's super grateful. They're super generous. How would that change our world? And so I'll just leave us with the challenge to let grateful worship flow from our souls. Father God, we are grateful. Father God, we are thankful. Thank you for all of the things that we, we might overlook or take for granted this week. God, thank you for the cars or the shoes that got us here this morning. God, thank you for um, the breath that's in our lungs. God, thank you for the fact that you love us 
and you give us a purpose and you call us to something greater than ourselves. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for our scars and the fact that you heal us. God, thank you for the way that you move and you use us for your glory. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.